Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an explanation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am Will Chase, joined tonight by Pale Dragon. Pale Dragon, what is up? It's another Monday. <laughs> that is true. It is Monday, but, uh, you know, one day down and the weekend will be here soon enough. But uh, anyways, so uh, we'll dive right back into it. So the Stanley Cup final is over. We all know by now Tampa Bay won. Shout out David Savard. But uh, yeah, so a lot of offseason news to talk about already. Uh, big trade. Well, I guess big trade. Could have big ramifications, and we'll get into that. But basically, uh, Duncan Keith, the longtime Chicago Blackhawk, is off to Edmonton. He has waived his no-trade clause. Uh, he is going to the Oilers for Caleb Jones. There is another player involved. In fact, I just had the tweet open. Tim Soderlund is going from Chicago to Edmonton as well, and Edmonton sending a conditional third-round pick to Chicago. And the big win for the Hawks is not only shedding the Duncan Keith salary, they're not retaining any of the salary as the Oilers are taking all that on. So I know (laughs) Keith wanted to go to Edmonton to be closer to his son, but I don't know how the Hawks got off that easy. Well, I do know why. It's Ken Holland and the Oilers, so it's not too hard to figure out. But first off, were you surprised? And we're going to get into the second part of this, the main part. But were you surprised with this trade going down today or the players such as Caleb Jones being involved? Yeah, yeah. I think this was a uh, a horrible trade for Edmonton. A ridiculous overpay. It's ridiculous they're taking on all of Duncan Keith's salary. Duncan Keith was in his prime a tremendous hockey player. I think Hall of Famer, right? Oh, sure. Norris Trophy yeah. winner, Consmith winner, key part of those Blackhawk teams that were that was just a great Blackhawks dynasty. But he's 38 years old now. He is a shell of the player he used to be. Even if you got him at league minimum, I don't see how this would move the needle for Edmonton. But the fact that he is still on that contract and that Chicago retained none of it. Uh, I, it's baffling. Now, I mean, I, I think I understand 
I know the reason that Edmonton will give for why they made the trade. They'll say that, oh, that he's, you know, his playoff experience and his leadership will, you know, that's the missing piece for Edmonton. And, you know, that will get them over the hump while they've got McDavid and Dreisaitl. I, I don't, that's not the problem for Edmonton. It's not a lack of leadership that's the problem. The lack, the problem is that they, they lack depth. <laughs> they lack forward depth. They're, they don't have much of the way of star defensemen. Their goalies are mediocre. They got some good production from Mike Smith, but then he wasn't good in the playoffs, and the predictable happened because that's what happens when you have a 39-year-old journeyman goaltender. Um, there's just not enough talent on that roster aside from McDavid and Dreisaitl. So this does not help them. And, and Caleb Jones, you know, there's some mixed reactions to, to what he is as a player. Um, certainly he's not the player that his brother is. Um, but Duncan Keith is a worse player than Caleb Jones at this point. Duncan Keith is only going to get worse. Caleb Jones would have the potential to get better. He's still a young defenseman. Um, and so Jones is younger, he's cheaper, and he's better. And I just don't understand why Edmonton made that swap. And threw in a pick as well, um, which if Edmonton gets to the conference finals and Duncan Keith plays top four minutes, then it can become a second round pick next year. Uh, which again, won't happen, how, but I don't know how likely that's going to be, but, um, yeah, there's a chance that he maybe doesn't play top four minutes for them, which makes it even more of an overpay, uh, horrible trade for Edmonton, great trade for Chicago. They get a, you know, an overpaid player off their books. They get a young defenseman, maybe with some potential, um, but it, you know, and it sets the table for Chicago, maybe doing some other things. There was also a tweet that they could be interested in getting Marc-Andre Fleury from Vegas. And that's kind of, that's kind of a head scratcher for me. Yeah. Cause I feel like they got, you yeah. know, they got decent production Kevin out of Lincoln Kevin Lincoln. And um, I mean, he, he fell off a cliff in the second half, but you know, right. Yeah. That's what I'm but kind of Mark, thinking. Mark too. Andre Fleury. Yeah. Well, you know, Fleury, as great as he was this year, like, is how long is he going to be able to produce like that, you know? Well, I guess that's the other thing. He has, like, I think one year left on his contract, so it's kind of, you know, if yeah. if Fleury comes to Chicago and isn't good, then they're not going to be stuck with him too long. But he's also Fleury, and he's really good. Like you said, I mean, for a year, it couldn't be bad, too bad, I guess. But, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, Kevin Lincoln was really good at the start of the season, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was him that fell off specifically or just the team itself kind of might have been a little bit of everything there. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So with the Caleb Jones situation and him in Chicago now, that kind of makes, well, as Mark Scheich had a tweet earlier, that looks, it makes it look really good for Columbus because Seth Jones is going to be traded sooner than later. Could be mm-hmm. around the draft or whatever, but basically Let's say Chicago is that other party involved. And Aaron Portsline had an article a week or so ago in The Athletic naming potential suitors for Seth Jones teams, including the Blackhawks, the LA Kings, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Colorado Avalanche. And so the Blackhawks, there could be a reunion of brothers there if the Jackets and Hawks can kind of get together on a deal there. So what are you thinking about the odds of the Blackhawks and the Jackets able to make something happen with Seth Jones and we can get into the other teams as well after that. I, you know, I think that, uh, 
if that doesn't happen, I think the whole hockey world is going to be disappointed. Because I noticed that this afternoon, after Caleb Jones got traded, Seth Jones was trending on Twitter. <laughs> because everyone is expecting, because you know he'd already been rumored that Chicago was interested in him. And now that they've acquired the other Jones, yeah, is that more of an enticement? You know, can they reunite the brothers? And so, of course, as we get into talking about trading Seth Jones, the the big issue that comes up here is his long-term future. You know, the reason that he's being traded now is because he said that he was not going to sign a long-term extension with the Jackets at this point. He wanted to test free agency next summer. Yeah. So... If, if that's what he wants to do truly is test free agency no matter what, then that means that he's a one-year rental. Uh, and that impacts the value that the Jacks can get in a trade because teams are not going to give up as much for just one year of Seth Jones. Now, unless they're a team that's saying, hey, we're in our window right now. We want to make a one-year push. That's fine. You know, now it sounds like from what several sources have reported that there are some places where Jones would be willing to talk an extension this summer. And it sounds like the jackets and Jones's team are in the loop on this and they're letting him talk to other teams to kind of work out the, the rough outline of an extension in which case Return for Columbus could be greater because the team would have Jones locked in long term as part of the trade, um, which obviously I hope that happens. I it doesn't necessarily matter to me where Jones goes. I just want the Jackets to get the best possible return for him. And in some of the trades that Portsline suggested, um, you know, there was talk of Kirby Doc being the main piece that would come back from Chicago, which would be great. I, I think he'd be, I think he'd be a huge addition for us. I uh, he, he can play center. He's a young player. He's super talented. Um, you know, a guy that has some, you know, elite skill potentially. And this, we don't have enough highly talented players in our pipeline at this point. So, uh, and I think what I'd be looking for, for Jones, I want a young NHL ready prospect like that. And I want some draft picks, ideally a first round pick this year or a couple second round picks this year and next year or something like, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for uh, in a trade. Yeah. Uh, as far as, yeah, Kirby Doc would be awesome. I don't think that happens unless he does agree to go to Chicago and have a long term extension because then they'd be more, maybe more likely to say, yeah, we're going to trade a guy like Doc. Right, exactly. Well, and and so it's interesting, you know, we don't know exactly what teams Jones would be willing to sign long-term with, and I don't know that Chicago was one of those teams, but then the question is, does Caleb Jones end up in Chicago, does that add Chicago to the list of teams that he'd be willing to sign long-term with? You'd have to think that it would. It sounds like he and his brother are close, They'd love the opportunity to play together. And yeah, why not play together for several years? I think it sounds like maybe Colorado was a place where he would sign long-term because um, 
you know, spent spent part of his childhood there. Um, now I don't know. I don't know how that fits with Colorado's salary cap. Yeah, right. They have a lot of guys due for raises, and I don't know if they can fit in what Jones is going to want demand. So the thing about the Avalanche is they're Stanley Cup or bust right now. They're in it to win it. So I could see maybe the Blue Jackets and Avalanche making a deal with Jones to Colorado, just because they are Stanley Cup or bust. Now I don't know about their salary cap situation going forward, but. I could see the Avs making that deal, even if he doesn't doesn't agree to a long term thing. But uh, I was talking with my guy Ryan Sykes on my podcast, uh, and he writes about the LA Kings. He's a fan of the Kings, and around Memorial Day, we were trading or uh, tossing trade scenarios around. And I'm thinking about the Kings, and they have a lot of centers, and so yeah. I was thinking mm-hmm. about a guy like Alex Turcotte. But uh, I got the impression. Uh, from him and I guess amongst their fan base that they're not really that into acquiring another right-handed shot defenseman. So now the one guy he was really interested in was Zach Varensky and he was ready to give up whatever it took there. But of course that, that makes sense because Varensky does have more team control. But uh, as far as Jones, what do you think about some of these other trade uh, ideas like I don't know about Philadelphia because can you see them trading within the division assuming that they are both in the metropolitan division again next season I mean trading them in division that doesn't bother me as much again if they're giving the right package for him I'll make the deal I there are some interesting pieces that Philly has uh, if they want to talk about like a Morgan Frost or a Nolan Patrick um, those guys, see, there's some risk, but there's some upside there. Um, the biggest issue is it sounds like Philly is definitely the one of those teams that Jones is not interested in signing an extension with. So will will Philly be able to give us the best package? And you know, is Philadelphia in a position that they can take on Jones as a rental? Because I don't see it being worth it. And, and Philadelphia is, based on reports over the last few days, they're a team that's going to be in transition here. They, they've, they've already told Jake Voracek that he will be exposed in the expansion draft. And if Seattle doesn't take him, they're going to try to trade him. Um, so, so, you know, that's a big move, kind of moving on from that phase of their, of their team and trying to go to a younger core. So I don't know how Jones fits into that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see Philly as a fit. I would see, yeah, Chicago, Colorado, LA. Those would probably be the leading candidates for him at this point. Not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> if you had to make a guess, if you had to make an educated guess, what team do you think it ends up being? And I guess the, the bonus question do you think it ends up being a draft day trade or just before or after the draft? Yeah, I would expect it to happen either like the day before or the day of the first round of the draft. So we're talking next Thursday or Friday. Because I, I would have to think that they'd want if one of this year's first round picks to be involved, um, you know, for, coming from the other team, in, in which case, um, you know, it would have to happen by. Friday afternoon or something. So 
that that's that's when I see it happening. Um, I mean, I think the the Anderson Domi trade happened the day before the draft last year, so you know I, I could see a similar timing working out this year with that. So yeah, and the draft is always so ripe for big trades, big uh, big players being traded and. I don't know. I feel like the NHL is the one sport where draft day trades really happen yeah. more often. Uh, the baseball draft is happening right now and trades don't happen then. And yeah, I think the NHL, it just makes sense for a, a sure. big trade like that to go down over the uh, NHL draft. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So the expansion draft, the anticipated draft, July 21st. So real fast, I'll just kind of go through, in case people don't know, uh, current NHL teams can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or eight skaters, forwards, defensemen, and a goalie. That excludes the Vegas Golden Knights, which first off, do you have a problem with the fact that the Golden Knights don't have to expose anybody or, or even have to give up anybody? Yeah, it rubs me the wrong way. Now, I, there is a trade-off there. The, the Golden Knights are exempt from this, but at the same time, they don't get a portion of Seattle's expansion fee. Okay. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'd almost rather go ahead and split yeah. that pot 31 ways and force them to expose someone just right. because they've been so much more successful than people initially thought. Um, yeah. You know, th the precedent is that recent expansion teams – aren't part of this, you know, you know, Atlanta, Nashville, they didn't have to expose anyone to Columbus, but those teams were also, you know, not good from the beginning. So, you know, that it would have hurt them, to, but you know, uh, and actually, I guess in some ways it would have, it would help Vegas to be able to expose someone because of their cap issues, you know, That's they're always true. right up so against maybe the it's cap. Better. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it sounds like, you know, they might be a team that, uh, will look to make deals with other teams that find themselves in a bit of a protection crunch that maybe a team can trade someone to Vegas or take someone from Vegas or, or whatever. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that happens. But yeah, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit just, I'm because I'm jealous of their success. That's it. It's all, that's all that it comes down to. I'll admit it. <laughs> I guess, I guess the only thing we can say is that 
they keep blowing it in the playoffs. The Jackets have never blown a 3-1 lead in the playoffs. So, you know. But that's Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> we've never had a 3-1 lead in the playoffs. We've never blown a 3-1 lead in the playoffs. So. That's true. Uh, they had a two-zip lead, yeah. but uh, same thing. Uh, so basically, though, as far as Columbus goes, um, so basically, who do you think of the players that they can expose and protect? Who do you think, basically, who do you think has the best chance of ending up in Seattle? In your mind, who do you think that might end up being? So I, I think the likely choices are Eric Robinson, Kevin Stenland, or Dean Kukin. And I'm not sure what direction Seattle goes in there. Yeah. And I, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about at this point, but um, I had also thought there was a chance that Matisse Kavlenix could have been selected because I, you know, I think he would have been a natural fit. They need to take at least three goalies um, and, you know, he, he could have been their AHL option or whatever. So again, it's just still just really sad to think about that whole situation. Like we talked yeah, about last week. Yeah, it's hard to, yeah. But I did mm-hmm. see that this afternoon that the Blue Jackets announced they're setting up a memorial fund for him that will go towards funding youth hockey programs in Columbus and in Latvia, and that's really cool. But um, back to the expansion draft, uh, yeah, so I think, yeah, Robinson, Stenley, and Coogan. Now, there's been some speculation that the Jackets might want to protect Robinson, um, and so they might, I think Portsline speculated about this, they could expose Max Domi by taking the risk that because of his injury that Seattle wouldn't take him. I don't think the risk is worth it there. I like, Ro- I like Robinson. I like Stenlin. I don't want to lose either of those guys because I think they can be useful for us in the short term. But at the same time, if this team is at its best, those guys are bottom six forwards. And I don't think you should go out of your way to protect bottom six forwards. By definition, those kind of players should be replaceable. You know, your your bottom six has either, you know, young guys coming up that will eventually play their way up into the top six, or you've got veterans that are on their way down, uh, you know, veteran free agents that you plug in on short term deals and they come and go. And that that's fine. You know, the, Players in the bottom of six are not part of your core. So as much as I like Robinson and Stenlin, would not go out of my way to protect Robinson yeah. and Stenlin. Right. You know, and then there's, you know, when it comes down to which one, if I were Seattle, would I pick? You know, I think Stenlin being a center uh, maybe makes him more valuable. He's shown some skill on the power play, which could be useful. You know, Robinson, you know, you could look at him and maybe see him as a, uh, you know, knockoff version of Josh Anderson because he's big and because he's fast and physical. Now, he doesn't have anywhere near the shot that Josh Anderson has, which I think is a pretty important distinction. Um, But, you know, Robinson started to get some PK minutes late this season. So he's got some versatility there. But again, I don't see him having a ceiling beyond being just a, Middle six at best, but that's on a struggling team. On a good team, he'd be just bottom six. How do you view Dean Kukin? Because if Seth Jones is gone, that's opening up spots. So how do you view Kukin in Columbus or just in general going forward? Yeah, he's an interesting player. Um, he's someone who 
I feel like has never gotten quite a fair shake here. I feel like he has earned the chance to play. There's been times where he's been scratched that I didn't think he deserved to be scratched. Um, there's been times where he's, you know, had injuries that have held him back. But again, I don't see him as anything more than a second pair guy. So, and, you know, he, he's, he's getting up there in age two. He's not, you know, he's not really a prospect anymore. So uh, I think he would also be replaceable. Yeah, I'm not sure what the what the blue line is going to look like in the fall. You know, we'll see what happens come free agency. I'd have to imagine that Michael Delzato and or Miko Lettinen uh, could get re-signed once free agency starts. Uh, maybe both of them, uh, but at least one of them I would expect to be re-signed. You know, there's questions about what Wierenski's future is, but I don't see him getting traded this summer. Uh, I think it would take some some god godfather offer from another team for the Jacks to move him now. So I would expect Wierenski to be in the lineup on opening night. And in terms of them trading you, it would be next summer or at a deadline or something like that. But so you still have him, you still have Gavrikov, probably one of Delzato. You know, maybe they finally give Gabriel Carlson a full time shot. I don't know. And there might be some other, you know, veteran defensemen that are in free agency that they sign on one year deals just to fill the hole, I guess. And then a guy like Max Domi, who's probably a better trade chip at the trade deadline. Uh, what do you think about him? Do you think that he might stay long term or might he be gone? after the next season or too early to say and he's got the shoulder surgery also yeah it's really hard to say you've got to see how he recovers from a surgery i agree that you know his value is at an all-time low right now both because he had a rough season and because he has this you know shoulder surgery that he's recovering from so yeah you'd, you'd hope that he will come back and play well and if he does and if the team's not doing well then yeah you know, look to trade him at the deadline, but he, he seems to like it here. I think he seems to want to make it work here. So I would, you know, I I would have a dialogue with him about what his long-term future is. You know, I don't, maybe that deal doesn't get done until the end of the season. Just once we see what things, what, how things unfold, once he's healthy with the new coaching staff, does he play better here? Because maybe the team doesn't want to commit to him unless they see that he can play like he has in the past. But I, I, I would like to see that work out between Domi and the Jackets that he that he ends up being a long term piece here because I think that would help help the team a lot if he can get back to that to his you know career average of being a fifty point guy. Yeah, that'd be huge yeah. if they could get a fifty point production type player. Then of course you got a guy like Patrick Line who we know what he can do. Yeah, so. Just uh, I'm just curious. Uh, it's hard to say, of course, but Patrick Line. I know there was this uh, Finnish article that dropped. Mm-hmm. It's hard to I don't know. You'd have to rely on Google Translate, but <laughs> yeah, and there's 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 a pretty rough Google Translate of, of on that one that, that must have been a lot of slang or something. But uh, yeah, it's not. It, it sounds like from what I saw in that translation that that maybe he he wants things to work here as well. Um, but but like with Domi, I think it's a, both sides are going to have to show each other something. So the Jackets are going to need to see him bounce back. I think he's going to have to see how the Jackets choose to build around him and 
feature him in the offense and things like that. But, you know, it sounds like from everything that the coaches have said, both Brad Larson and Pascal Vincent, that, you know, they see him as being a centerpiece of, of the offense. And um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they can do. And I think, again, it was such a bad season for him that he's going to bounce back. Now, is it going to be, is he going to bounce back to the peak of his career? I don't know, but even just bouncing back to his career average gives us a pretty big weapon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about if, if Max Domi, I mean, I know he's going to be out for a significant amount of time to start the season, but let's say he comes back and I don't know, it's hard to say coming off surgery, but let's just say he comes back and plays well. Gustav Nyquist was out the entire last season. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's, it's more restful than rust at that point, but hopefully yeah. he comes back and plays well. You hope line A, maybe the offense can be good. We we go through this every year, I feel like, in, in terms of talking about potential. Kim Atkinson is still there, so we'll see how it all plays out. I'm excited to see what happens with these drafts. Yeah, with, with the talent that we do have there on offense, and with the question marks that we have on defense, I think this team is going to have to be a high event... Trying to score lots of goals, that team. It's not going to be the kind of team that can win a bunch of one nothing or two one games. I just don't see them being able to play that defensive oriented style. So I'm hoping, and you know, if this is a team that is you know 500 at best, but they're in games where they're scoring multiple goals per game, like I'm okay with that because that sounds like that would at least be entertaining to watch. It's when they're struggling to win and they're struggling to score it's just a slog so at least be entertaining bad and not boring bad 500 sounds pretty good and you know because i was just thinking disastrous ahead but at the same time if they're not going to make the playoffs not that i'm rooting for losses but being 500 doesn't really help them in future drafts although i don't want them to lose i don't want to have to think about future drafts i want them to win so yeah 500 sounds pretty decent yeah, and I just, you know, I want to see improvement on an individual basis from a lot of players. You know, I want to see these younger guys take a step forward. I want to see guys like Lani and Domi, you know, bounce back and show that they've still got stuff in the tank. And, you know, will wins come from that individual progress? Maybe, you know, um, but that's just something that uh, I'm more focused on how the team looks, how the team grows over the year, rather than what exactly their win and loss total is. Uh, so I was wondering, do you think that the potential trades of Jack Eichel, Vladimir Tarasenko, Sam Reinhardt, do you think that those other trades that could happen affect the current Seth Jones situation, or does it not have anything to do with the other? Because I'm thinking maybe... One of those trades sets things up for everything else to fall, or maybe, you know, Eichel still has a surgery and Tarasenko is mad with the Blues over his surgeries. So uh, I'm just wondering how that might affect things. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends on how many teams out there see themselves as buyers. And if it's a limited number, then yeah, obviously, if, if a team acquires Eichel or Tarasenko, they probably don't have the assets to also acquire Jones. But at the same time, those are three very different players um, and you know, playing different positions and being at different points in their career, 
different price tags. So um, I think a team that's looking for Eichel is not necessarily looking for Jones. So uh, uh, there are teams, though, that will see themselves as being one stud defenseman away from making a run. And those are the teams that are going to be looking for Seth Jones. And so that's the teams. Those are the teams that we need to be trying to get the best offer out of. Yeah. Uh, one more question for you. Who do you have winning the home run derby tonight? <laughs> um, you know, I haven't even seen the, uh, the whole list of players. Um, I'll go I, ahead and I, read off the, uh, yeah, go ahead and read the off, hitters yeah. real fast. Okay, so the bracket is going to be Shohei Otani against Juan Soto, Salvador Perez against Pete Alonso, and then Joey Gallo against Trevor Story and Matt Olson against Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini would be a great story because he came off the colon cancer a year ago. Mm, yeah. Um, I think Otani's awesome. Yeah, great. I, 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 I want to see Otani put on a show. That's when it comes down to it. He's, yeah, he's just it, it, a, a fascinating player, fascinating story. Uh, and you know, I lo- the fact that this is in Colorado. I want hopefully, hopefully they're using balls that have not been in the humidor and just like let it fly. That's what they're doing. Yeah, they're gonna have non humidor balls. Nice. Pete Alonso won the Derby two years ago. Could yeah. be the third defending champ. I'm going random. I'm going Joey Gallo. I like Otani, and if he wins, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But I just think that's too obvious. So I'm gonna go random <laughs> with Gallo. He's yeah. He's a Joey Gallo's a good pick. He's a good good power hitter. So And Trevor Story, he's the hometown kid, so that would be cool. But yeah, Otani is a starting pitcher tomorrow, I believe, and batting leadoff tomorrow, so that's cool. That's I love it. Well, and this actually brings me to a final thought I wanted to discuss. Um, I was reading an article that Richard Deitch wrote at The Athletic about Fox's plans for covering the All-Star game and about how they were you know, going to focus on the new young stars of the game and you know, having – in-game interview with Shohei Otani through a translator and all that. And uh, it got me thinking about how that sport gets covered and how hockey gets covered. And while it's good to be emphasizing the young stars, and that's something the NHL needs to be doing better, I think they also miss the point about why ratings are falling in the All-Star game. And fans aren't going to watch because of puff pieces and interviews and stuff like that. Fans will watch if the game's exciting. And the all-star game in baseball has gotten less interesting as a game because they've got so many people on the roster and players play for just a couple of innings and then they're out. And so it's not like a real game. And it's just it's just less interesting than when you had guys playing for most of the game and going all out for it. You just don't see that anymore. And, and that's a problem. And, um, and just forcing players into roles that they are maybe not comfortable with, um, you know, and there's been controversy about Otani using a translator. I know Stephen A. Smith stuck his foot in it with his comments today. Um, but, you know, yeah, maybe an interview with Otani is not the right way to, to highlight him. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's enough. The fact that he is like peak Bay Ruth in terms of being a great pitcher and a great hitter, you know, that's a great story to highlight. Um, and it makes me think about the uh, Nikita Kucherov situation with his um, post-game press conference after winning the Stanley Cup, where he was a couple beers into it and he was unfiltered. And I know it upset a lot of people, but I thought it was great um, because it was just it was different. 
it wasn't a hockey player spouting off cliches and being totally non-controversial. Like he was just saying what he thought. And you know what? Some of the stuff he said, I thought he was spot on for. I like that he was standing up for his teammate and saying that, you know, Vasilevsky should have won the Vezina instead. Like, uh, you know, it was interesting. It was exciting. And we don't see that enough from hockey players. And I hope going forward that, you know, the new TV partners will get more moments like that where the players are unfiltered and willing to speak their mind and willing to show off their personality. Um, And rather than like wagging our fingers and saying, Oh, he shouldn't have said that, or, Oh, that's inappropriate. Like maybe real, there might be some casual fans that realize like, Oh, that's the Russian guy that drinks beer (laughs) and spouts off. Like, okay, yeah, I want to see him play. Or, yeah, I want to see the next time he goes up against, you know, like Marc-Andre Fleury because he said those things about him, you know. Build up that kind of stuff. That that can get fans' attention. And then once they watch the game, they see that, oh, wow, Kucherov is an amazing player to watch because he can do these amazing things on the ice and score tons of points. Um, you know, that's that's the sort of thing that, uh, that the sport really needs to uh, to catch on. And, and let's not shame players for just being themselves let's find ways to promote that and make the most of it you know and you get in baseball you got the the padres i think they're so so fun because they're just having a blast they're having a blast playing baseball they've got that you know necklace they wear where they hit a home run they have that you know like relief pitcher in his major league debut his first at bat he gets a home run off max scherzer of all people or it was a grand, grand slam in his first at bat but that is so much fun. Like that's the kind of thing that we love about sports and it, you know, life is too short to be you know, upset about players having fun or doing something that's non-traditional, you know? Yeah. The San Diego Padres are a fun team and Don Orsillo is the broadcaster. He brings so much excitement and enthusiasm. The Padres are fun to watch. I never thought that they would come when I thought the Padres would be a fun (laughs) team, but here they are. And I thought it was crazy when Manny Machado went to San Diego and now it's like, okay, that was a great move and he's not even their best player and he's a great player. Yeah. It's just, it's nice to see teams in there that are out of the norm that that are not the usual powers, you know, and we're seeing that in the NBA where it's not the same old teams. It's the Suns and the bucks. And that, and that's great. You know, I think that's, it's good for the sport to see that kind of variety. That's going to do it for us this week. Be sure to check us out at CBJ Cannon on Twitter and Facebook at JacketsCannon.com. We've been pumping out a lot of off-season articles, a lot of draft preview articles. So continue to check those out and we will see you all next week. Subscribe to the Cannon Cast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can catch every episode. Leave us a review and a rating, and as always, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Go to JacketsCannon.com for more Blue Jackets coverage from us, and follow us on Twitter at CBJCannon. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and the Howlin' Moons. Check out AngelaPearlie.com for more music and show dates.